And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. Amen, amen. Well, this morning we got the joy of having um, Zach and Shelby Meredith with us, who are missionaries to Ecuador, who we've supported for, for years now as a house. Zach and Shelby are, look, oh my, what a beautiful family, except for Zach. That's a great-looking family. Um, uh, Zach has has been one of Pastor and Seth and I's best friends for years, years and years, and they're faithful and loyal and are doing a, a really beautiful work in Ecuador. My kids have been watching uh, Into the Spear all week. I don't know why, but, um, and so we're excited to have them with us. They're going to share uh, what God's doing in them, and they have a word for us, and so just want to ask you to lean in. Zach and Shelby, do you want to come? Just be prepared that Zach will um, try to make fun of me at some point, and, and he's not funny, just so you know. We love y'all. Is this on? There we go. I am not funny. I am not sarcastic. I'm always serious. Um, so bless the Lord. Um, uh, no. I'll try to balance it out, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> no, we are honored to be here. Caleb, uh, he did. He called the, the best looking, uh, wisest, uh, most anointed pastors he knew, and they didn't answer. So we're here. Um, you guys are stuck with us. Um, but at least half of us are good looking. Amen. I am Zach, and in case you guys were confused, and this is Shelby, um, and our daughter Abby, as you see on the screen. Um, she's so young in that picture. Uh, she is at her grandma's house right now. Uh, we are actually leaving back to Ecuador, um, where we were missionaries to the jungles of Ecuador uh, on Wednesday. And so she's getting some grandma time before we head back for four more years um, to plant churches. First and foremost, we're, we're church planters. Uh, we have a little over 80 churches there in the jungle. Uh, we have about 12, 13 villages waiting on churches to be built, um, as well as we have five Bible schools to train and equip those pastors. And right now we have a little over 100 um, pastors training in those Bible schools. So if you do the math, we have a, a good problem. How many of you guys know there's good problems? Amen. We have the good problem of we have too many pastors. So we're going to have to build even more churches uh, to have a pulpit for every pastor. Um, and we also have a girl's home we call the Hope House. And I'll let Shelby tell you about that. Yes, yeah, so we work primarily with the Shuar. Um, we've recently been able to make connections into some villages that are deeper in the jungle and have begun to work with some actual villages as well. But in our province of Ecuador, we have the highest rate of pregnancy under the age of 12. And so there's just, um, uh, culturally, people are not necessarily aware of what healthy dynamics should look like within families and things like that. And so... Right now, we have 50 girls. Um, actually, literally right now, they're probably running around the house getting ready to go to church this morning. And uh, it's just a privilege. We get to love these girls. We get to disciple them. We get to watch Jesus transform their life. I mean, a lot of times on the first day when they come in, we do an intake photo. And then every year after when they come back, because they, they'll go home in the summer for just a couple of weeks with their family, um, we, we take a new photo every year. And a lot of times, if, it's, if a girl's coming in for the very first time, I mean, I'll be trying to take a photo, and Zach's behind me acting like just absolutely crazy, trying to get a smile out of these girls, because there's just no hope. There's just no light in their eyes, and it's incredible to see how Jesus begins to transform their life. And year after year, you can just see literally this light come into their face, and you see a smile appear, and, and the, transform, the transformation of Jesus is really taking root in their life. And what's really incredible is... 
how Jesus set up the church to function, and we're going to get into that more this morning. But it's all, everything works together. Do you believe that? That everything works together for the good of those that love God and, and for his glory. And so um, for us personally, that looks like sometimes the gospel makes it to a village before we do. Because a girl came from a village we had never been to before, because that happens. People will travel for days and days by canoe and hiking to get to the interviews to try to get into the Hope House. And so we will have girls arrive from villages where the gospel has not made it yet. Just because they heard there's a house where you can take your daughters and they'll take care of them. And so a lot of times a girl's life is transformed. She goes back into her village afterwards and she begins to share what's going on. And we get an invitation to go in that village and begin to preach the gospel and eventually plant a church and eventually train pastors. And it's just this huge cycle. Amen. Yeah, like give glory to God. And we want to be really clear this morning when we say we, uh, we mean the body of Christ in Ecuador. We mean um, a whole team of missionaries that we work with, some from Nicaragua and El Salvador. We mean our national pastors, our Schwar pastors. Um, so we haven't been there for a year and nothing's falling apart because it doesn't depend on us. But we are really excited to get back and, and be a part of what God is doing in Ecuador. And we just want to say thank you guys this morning. Um, as Caleb mentioned, you know, there's only one way we get there, um, and that's financially. Now, prayers and the Lord keeps us there, amen, but we have to be able to support this ministry. And we just want to say thank you guys for those who are actually faithfully giving, and, and, and not just faithful givers, um, but sacrificial givers as well. Uh, we know we have, we have supporters who give $10 a month, um, and it is a stretch, it's a challenge to them to give $10 a month. And we have people who give hundreds of dollars a month, and it's a challenge to them. A couple weeks ago, we received a phone call unexpectedly saying a, a man uh, called me, and he was with, and his eyes were filled with tears, and you could just hear it in his voice. And he said, we just want to support you for this amount. He said, I don't know how we're going to do this, but we trust in the Lord. And we're both there just sitting teary-eyed, you know, him and I, and I'm just like, thank you so much, you know, and because I understand that um, that it's a sacrifice, not just for us to go, but also for the people who, who pray for us here in the States Excuse me. And, and give to our, our ministry as well. It's a sacrifice for everybody. So um, we just want to say thank you all as a church um, and thank you all as a body. We have individuals supporting us. We have churches supporting us. Um, and we're actually lacking right now. a month, um, and we leave out on Wednesday. And so if you want to prayerfully consider uh, that option, we will not argue with you at all. Um, We will uh, bless you and pray for you um, as we do the church already. Um, And so just felt like we needed to insert that and say thank you so much. We wouldn't be able to do what we do without people like you behind us praying for us, and supporting us financially. Um, do you want to share that story, actually, about coming back from Cuenca by your partners? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, if you remember us being here last year, we did share this, but for anyone who wasn't there, we, we always want to share it just to emphasize the importance of taking your place in the body of Christ when it comes to carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth and, and the importance of not just financial support but prayer support for missionaries. Um, 
for us personally, our little girl, she actually has a lung condition. And at the time, we didn't know exactly what we were up against, but we knew she was having some health issues and there wasn't good medical care in the jungle. And so once a month, we were traveling through the mountains to the city for her to see a a good pediatrician. And uh, on one of those trips, we were actually on our way back. And how many of you in the house, when you're going on a trip, you want to go from point A to point B and you don't want to stop? You do not pass go. You do not collect $200. Just get me there. Raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, how many of you, you like to stop, use the bathroom, get some snacks, stretch your legs? You're my people. That's my people right there. Okay. Zach is like, do we have to stop? Like, can you, can, how many seconds are you going to be in the gas station right now? And, um, in our particular context, there's not a gas station, but there's a house at, on that halfway point where a lady has a little restaurant in her house and she lets you use the bathroom and, and so we were coming up on that house, and Zach says, do you need to stop? And I said, you know what? I think I'm good. Bless I mean, the Lord. Miracle moment, right? I think I'm good. And he says, you know what? I need to go to the bathroom. And so we pull over, and I was so content that I didn't even get out of the car. And uh, he gets back in, and we begin to pull out. And we had literally just pulled out of the drive of this house, and I look up at Zach, and he is putting the brake pedal to the floor with everything he's got, and nothing's happening. And we're in the middle of the mountains, and here in in Ecuador, we don't have good roads. (laughs) Some of of the roads, they're not even fit for one-lane traffic. And uh, you look down, and it's just thousands of feet down to the bottom of the mountain. And so, praise the Lord, this man had to go to the bathroom. (laughs) Because had we not stopped, we would have been going full speed through the mountains when the brakes went out. We had to have our brakes completely replaced before we made it home that day. Why am I telling you this story? We didn't write about it in our newsletter. We didn't call home and tell mom. People don't want to hear about that stuff, right? But a couple of months later, I heard from two different individuals, one person in the United States, one person in Ecuador, two different languages, two different contexts. Both women had been woken up in the middle of the night with a dream of us traveling through the mountains, and and they looked down at the bottom of the cliff, cliff, and there were bones at the bottom of the cliff, and they began to intercede for us. And so we just want to say this morning that We are just a part of this body, and we all have to do it together. And so we are reliant on your prayers. We are reliant on on you being obedient to the Holy Spirit, just as much as we have to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. So we could talk about that forever this morning, but uh, we want to get into the Word a little bit, and we want to share a little more about what's going on in Ecuador. And I'm going to be honest this morning, this this sermon, if you'll call it that, this what we're going to share this morning, it comes from a really holy place. Um, How many of you have ever had just like a really holy moment with God in the middle of something? It's just an everyday moment. (laughs) I was scrolling Facebook. We were, um, (laughs) we've spent the majority of this year in our car. If you walk past our car outside, you can see that. Um, (laughs) We are without a home in the United States because Ecuador is home. And so we have spent a lot of hours in our car and, and we were riding the car from point A to point B one day. And uh, I was scrolling through Facebook, and I came across a quote that just stopped me in my tracks. And it says this, One of the most tragic things for a Christian is to live an explainable life. I'm going to read that one more time so we can kind of chew on it. One of the most tragic things for a Christian is to live an explainable life. And I sat there in the car that day, and I, and I just really started thinking about that. Lord, is my life explainable? Can I look back, and I, I don't want to say what happened five years ago, ten years ago. What happened this week? 
is my life explainable? And for us, because we're missionaries and we're four years on the field, one year off to raise funds, and then four more years, a lot of times we look at our life in chunks of four years. And so I began to reflect over the last four years in Ecuador and ask, has it been an explainable thing? Or can you look back at these last four years of our life and say, that had to be Jesus, and that had to be Jesus, and that had to be Jesus, because there is no other explanation that was not done in our own strength, that was not done with our own resources, that was Jesus. And so I chewed on that for a bit, and then I turned to Zach, and I said, Zach, this is this quote, and this is how it's hit me, and and what about you? Like, what do you see in our life over the last four years that is unexplainable? And as she asked me this, I, I started to reflect on different things that had happened over the past four years, and uh, and then I was like, you know what? The thing that I kind of pushed to the back of my mind, which is kind of crazy, uh, is the time that I went out to a village called Nahempaimi. And uh, they had asked me to do a little marriage, uh, some marriage classes um, in the morning, on a Saturday morning. And I went out. I was, uh, me and my friend Axel, he's actually um, uh, from El Salvador. He's a missionary from El Salvador. Uh, he was there with me. He was helping me. And uh, we were out there for a few hours, and uh, after we finished, there was a lady waiting outside. And uh, she said, Zach, can I talk to you for a second? And I was like, well, yeah, of course, I'm here for that. Um, and she said, well, my, my son's very sick. Um, he's 18 years old, very sick. I don't know what to do. And it's about a 45-minute drive to the nearest hospital. I don't have money to call a taxi to come out to get us, or I can't, I don't, he can't walk. Um, so if you can help us by getting us to the hospital. And I was like, yeah, that's not a problem at all. So we went and, and got him. And I have never seen somebody as frail and fragile as he was. I had to help him lift his hands up, or his arms up to put his shirt on because he couldn't have any muscles, all skin and bones. Um, and I had to help him, Axel and I helped him uh, walk out to the truck, basically carried him out to the truck. Um, and we get about... Him and his mom were sitting in the back, Axel and I in the front, and um, he's coughing, he's he's whispering because he doesn't have enough strength to talk, and um, we get about 25 minutes down the road, and um, he leans over to his mom and starts to whisper something, and then he, his body goes lifeless, and all, his, all I can... Here is his mom screaming, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone. As she's holding her her son in her arms. And there's nothing at all that prepares you for this. You know, there's a, a guy who just died in my back seat. No, no, no breathing, there's unresponsive, eyes rolled back. There's, there's nothing. And all I could do was put my hand behind me as Axel turned around and started praying for him. I put my hand on him and we all started praying. And I have never driven that fast. I can take you to the spot in El Tesoro in between the two speed bumps uh, that this town has until we got to a town called Wambi, about five or seven minute drive down the road. And, um, and he came back to life. And we proceeded to go to the hospital. And he was in the hospital for about a week. And... Uh, but whenever I, I dropped him off the hospital, I went back to the Hope House where Shelby was, and I was like, all I could say was, he's dead. He was dead. He was dead. 
And I try to explain it away in, in some way or another. And I didn't give all the glory to God at that moment like I should have. I don't know if you guys have ever had a story and, and where you try to give glory to something else or don't give full honor to the Lord. But that's how I felt. And as she was asking me this, that's, that's one of the, the first ones that came to mind because I didn't fully give the glory to God for what had happened um, in that car. And it wasn't because of what I did. It wasn't because of me. And I'm not here to say that this morning, but all because of what the Lord did. Amen. Yeah, please, let's give, give God the glory he deserves because a, a man was dead and now he's alive. <laughs> and, you know, I think a lot of times I actually was having a conversation um, yesterday with somebody about this. Why is it that you think we see miracles in third world countries in different contexts and we don't see it as much here in the United States? And we don't have all the answers, but I think there's two things that stand out. The first is that um, in our context, we have a lot of other places we can run before we run to Jesus. I'm thankful for doctors. I'm thankful for the wisdom that God gives man so that there, there are options, places we can turn to. But if our first response is not to turn to Jesus, then we've made idols out of blessings. And we've stolen glory from Jesus. And then the second thing I think is that um, the miracles do happen and we explain them away. Well, that first x-ray was wrong. Or that doctor misread that CT. Or this happened or that happened or he wasn't really dead. He was just passed out and we weren't paying close enough attention to his breathing or whatever. And we begin to come up with this explanation of how it happened instead of acknowledging. And And this is... Christian people who believe in an all-powerful God who will explain away the work of God. And so I think a lot of times there is more supernatural taking place among us, and we have just learned to be blind to it. We have trained ourselves to be blind to the movement of God, and that's a scary thing. And so um, we, we have tried to be really intentional in recent months, really since having that conversation of looking for those moments, of being aware of those moments. And a couple of weeks ago, we were at a at an event with Abby, actually, and um, I was sitting at a table with a lady, and she was telling me about a do- her daughter, her daughter that she had adopted. It was actually another family member's child, and she had recently adopted her. And, um, and then they had discovered that something terribly wrong was going on with the little girl's knee. She was having horrible pains. They had gone in and done a biopsy, and they were waiting on the results, and it seemed like it was most likely going to be cancer. And so this lady's sitting here, and she's telling me about her daughter, and um, I felt really led to pray for her, not just out of compassion, but like literally led of the Spirit to pray for her in that moment. And so I had Abby in my arms, and Abby was just not having it at the moment. If you've got a toddler, you understand, right? And so I'm trying to hand her off to Zach, and she's not having that either. And I finally get Zach's attention, and he gets Abby, and I turn around, and the lady has gotten up from the table. And I'm like, man, I have missed this moment. And I look up, and she had actually walked over to talk to my mom. My mom is a registered nurse, and, and she was talking to my mom. And what she had not mentioned to me at the table was that since early that morning, and this is night, this is like 6 or 7 o'clock at night, Since early that morning, the little girl's leg had been ice cold. And my mom's sitting there feeling of her leg. There's no pulse in the leg. And my mom calls me over. 
have just enough medical knowledge to be a little dangerous to society. And so she calls me over and I'm looking at the leg and, and anyone who has an ounce of knowledge about this knows this is not good. And, um, and so my mom looks at her and she says, you need to go now to the hospital. Don't go anywhere else. You need to get in the car right now, and you need to take this little girl to the hospital. This is very serious. And and so I take the moment to be like, but wait, <laughs> like not yet. Um, and so we we pray for her, and they leave. They take off, and uh, we don't hear anything until the next day. And this lady sent a message to my mom, and she said, when we got to the hospital, we got out of the car, and her leg was warm to the touch. And we went in, and, and the doctor's, completed all the tests and we got the results back and there is no cancer. And now they're beginning to tell us that she probably just has arthritis in her knee. (laughs) Can we praise the Lord? It's, and we're not here just to talk about miracles this morning, about physical miracles. I want to be very clear that the greatest miracle that can ever take place is the salvation of someone, of a, for a lost person to come home to Jesus. And that God uses these other things to, to draw people for that purpose. And so when we get this misplaced um, perspective of, of seeking the gift more than the giver, of seeking what we can see with our eyes and what's exciting to us more than what causes heaven to erupt with joy, um, we've misplaced our, our priorities. And so we're talking about these things this morning, but the bigger the bigger picture of what we're wanting you to look at is that Jesus died so that we could live this unexplainable life that we could look and say there and there and there it makes no sense but he was there he was there and it had nothing to do with us it was just that he said this is what I want to do and we just made room and so we want to kind of focus in on that this morning you see from the very birth of the church in the book of acts the church has always been an unexplainable thing From the beginning, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, when the Spirit fell, people were outside the door saying, are they drunk? Like, what is going on in there? It doesn't make sense. And the church should be that kind of place, that the world looks in and says, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense how God meets their needs financially. It doesn't make sense how this group of people from all different backgrounds and all different situations, they love each other and they walk in unity. It doesn't make sense how... how these miracles are taking place. It doesn't make sense. The world should look in with a curiosity of what is that unexplainable thing? Since the very beginning, people either gave everything up to be a part of what Jesus was doing, of what the church was doing, or they walked away. There was no in-between because there was such a distinction between the church and the world that you couldn't blur that line. You counted the cost and you became a part of it or you walked away completely. And we watched that play out with some of our students. We have a a Bible school called Ethnos and um, we've gotten to watch these kids come in hungry, wanting to serve the Lord, wanting to be a part of what God is doing, wanting to lead an unexplainable life and hitting that point of counting the cost and wrestling with, where do I go from here? And one night, um, one of our students, his name is Romel. In case you guys are wondering, he had a birthday yesterday. So happy birthday to him, right? Um, and he came in to the church and said, you know, can we talk afterwards? And I was like, yeah, sure. Not a problem. And afterwards, he sat down with tears in his eyes. 
He said, I don't want to do this anymore. See, his dad was, uh, his, his grandma was um, a witch, practicing witch, um, in the community where they grew up. And his dad was actually um, next in line to take over the family business. Um, he knew all the things to know, and it was just a, a little while until he took it over. And the Lord miraculously healed him, healed him of stomach cancer. The tumor fell out of his, of his stomach. Um, and four days later, he was um, pastoring a church um, and just fell in love with the Lord. And I don't know if you guys know this, but, but ministry doesn't bring a ton of money, right? <laughs> you, don't go, you don't get to become a pastor or missionary or anything in ministry for the money. Um, and Romel has watched his family struggle to put food on the table. Um, but the Lord is always blessed. The family and they never had to go without. But he didn't want to live that way. He said, Zach, be honest. I don't want to do this anymore. Because he was stepping into a fourth year where we were going to place him into a church and help him as he pastored that church. And he said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go for this anymore. It's too hard. I've seen what my parents went through. I've seen what my family had to suffer through, and I don't want that to happen. He said, but I know that the Lord has called me, so I have to do it. And it's just people like that. It's those moments where you take the, the hard uh, you take into thought the cost of how hard it's going to be. And you say, you know what? It's going to be so hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to hurt me. You know, in ministry, um, someone explained it one time, um, is that as ministers, you have to continually put your heart on a stick. And someone's going to come up, tear it off, rip it down, stomp on it, throw it around, spit on it, whatever. And you, as a minister, have to come back with the heart on a stick again. Say, I love you like Jesus. And he counted that cost. And we have to count that cost as well. And I believe that he is pastoring that little small church today because he was able to say the Lord is worth it. It's going to be hard, but it's worth it. We're going to talk here in just a minute. If you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to Ephesians 4. We're going to land there in just a minute. So last night we went to prayer, and um, at, one, at one point we were just praying about, um, forgive me, I don't know the girl's name that was leading, Emma. Emma was talking about just the need to be baptized in the love of Jesus. And I've been reading this week in, in Revelation, the first few chapters, the letters to the churches, and, and there's a lot of talk in there about just different parts of our heart that we need to work on, but one is um, pretty well known, and it's, when Jesus calls out that, that the people had left their first love. And as we were sitting there in prayer last night, the Holy Spirit just really started dealing with my heart about Shelby. Um, you've kind of gotten to this point where you, you kind of think that you understand the depth of my love. And so you're trying to move beyond that point that I'm trying to drive home in your heart. And, and we get to this point where we have received the love of Jesus and we're, we want so desperately to share it that sometimes we get more focused on the sharing part than the receiving part. And we end up with a deficit where we run out of something to give because we're not really sitting and taking time to receive. And I'm not talking about how much time you're spending reading your Bible or how much time you're spending in prayer. I'm talking about this awareness and this openness with the Holy Spirit to let him continually be showing you the way that he loves you. 
And, and one thing I think that we fall into, particularly in our cultural context, is, is just trying to kind of check off the boxes to make sure that we're successfully doing what God is asking us to do, um, that, we're, that we're doing it correctly and efficiently. And what ends up happening is, is we end up trying to prove to Jesus how much we love him. When really scripture says that we love because he first loved us. And so the key to loving Jesus better is really not to do more of these things, but to receive more of his love. The more time that we spend receiving of him, the more love for him is just going to flow from us naturally. It's not something we have to force and something that the Holy Spirit's been speaking to me all year this year is let striving cease. And so we're about to talk for a minute about some things that God wants from us, some things that he is calling us to do and that we need to step forward in obedience. But what I don't want to happen is for us to walk out of this place this morning saying, I need to do this better and I need to do this better and I need to do this better. Yes, there is an element to which we have to move in obedience and we have to, we have to work, we have to put our hands to the plow, but always understanding that it is not my effort that makes the difference. That it is his grace and it is his love meeting my obedience that makes the difference. I'm going to read um, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 7, and then we'll skip down in a minute and read 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, verse 1 says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift for the generosity of Christ. And this is a really pretty beautiful picture of the church, right? Of what we should look like. Walking in unity, being humble and gentle and patient with one another, giving grace to one another's faults. And a lot of times we look at what, what God wants from the body and we're, we just kind of do this broad check of like, are we there or are we not? And we don't allow the Holy Spirit to do kind of a more narrow check in our own heart of, are you there or are you not? And particularly in these verses, um, verse 7, just it kind of, things start really broad and then they begin to kind of narrow down. Of this is what the church should be. And this is how you should walk with one another. And this is kind of, should be the shared attitude, the shared heart. And then it comes to verse 7 and it says, however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And so, it, yes, it's this beautiful, broad thing, this beautiful corporate thing, but the corporate can only be healthy if the individual is healthy as well, and vice versa. And so this morning, what we really want to just take a minute to emphasize is that Jesus wants the church to be an unexplainable thing, yes, but Jesus wants your life to be an unexplainable thing, and he has already equipped you. It's not something you have to strive for. It's not something that you have to win or or arrive at. He died. He gave his life 
for the church. And he gave each one of us a specific gift. Now, Zach and I joke a lot because he is um, funny, something like that. <laughs> he is one of the most sarcastic people that I know. Unless he is talking to you about the word of God, don't believe anything he's saying. Um, he is just sarca- as sarcastic as they come. He, he believes every moment is an appropriate moment for a joke. And there are people that... Res- I learned that from Caleb, okay? <laughs> I learned that from Pastor Caleb. <laughs> like right now. And there are people that respond really well to that. Really well. And I'm the opposite. I am very serious. I want to have a heart-to-heart with you. If you need to sit down and cry with somebody, that's me. I'm your girl. Like, I, I think most moments are, you know, questionable. Like, should you be telling a joke right now? And And we are... <laughs> We are very different in that sense. But you know what? There are people that I will connect with that he will never connect with. And there are people that I will bore to death that he will shoot straight to the heart with them. Why is that? Because we've been given different gifts, different talents, different abilities. And God has done the same for every single one of us. And you know what? I've learned over the years, and I'm I'm still young, but... I've learned that a lot of times what we think is our greatest weakness is actually one of our greatest gifts if we place it in the hands of the Lord. Because how many of you have ever identified with someone over a common weakness? And you're more willing to kind of be vulnerable with someone and real when you realize they're flawed like I am. And so maybe you're one of those people that's one that's like, I don't really have a lot of talents and abilities. All I see are my flaws. That's great too. <laughs> it's not. I mean, you need to pray about that and work on it, but... <laughs> But at the same time, it can be a strength in the hands of the Lord. If you allow him to say, hey, that is useful to me. And if you're willing to surrender it and you're willing to begin to be vulnerable, God can use even your greatest weakness for his glory. We'll read verse 11 through 16. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Once again, we're coming back, zooming back out to this picture Like when we all begin to operate in our gifts, when we all submit ourselves to the Lord, then it creates this beautiful corporate setting where the world can look in and say, what's different about them? What is this unexplainable thing? And and I I grew up as a pastor's daughter. And I'll just be honest, one of my favorite things to get to do is um, talk to churches on behalf of their pastor and say things that their pastor would never say necessarily. Don't be scared, Joe. (laughs) <laughs> but verse, Ephesians 4, verse 11, it's really, really clear about how the body of Christ should operate. There's no confusion here. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. 
the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. If you serve in that capacity in this church, would you just raise your hand for a second? If you're a leader, a teacher. These are your gifts, guys. (laughs) They're gifts given by God to this body. But how many of you know that gifts should be cared for? They should be taken care of. There should be a sense of gratitude. It says, these are the gifts that God gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. And their responsibility, if you thought it was anything else, here it is for you. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, here's where we get it wrong a lot in the global church, the big C church, is we begin to have this attitude of, well, I invited my brother to church so that he could hear you preach this morning, Pastor. Or my coworker really needs Jesus, so I got him to come to this event, and I just want you to know that they're here, Pastor. And we lose the perspective that biblically, your pastor's responsibility is to train and equip you to build the body of Christ. (laughs) It says their responsibility is to equip God's people, those that have already accepted Christ, who are submitting themselves to discipleship. It is their responsibility to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church. Their responsibility is not to reach Hilton Head, not to reach Bluffton. Their responsibility is is those that are here that are responding to the call of God who are submitting themselves to discipleship, their responsibility is to make sure that they are discipled well, that you are discipled well, so that you go and sit down at your family gathering, so that you reach out to your neighbor, so that you reach out to that coworker and you begin to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, so that then maybe they come and they join this body and then they also submit themselves to that, that discipleship process. But a lot of times... We put entirely too much weight on the shoulders of the gifts that God has given us. And we get really comfortable in our pew. And we think that we have done our striving and we check our box. And Jesus is saying, I need you to come back to your first love. I need you to take your body, your place in this corporate body. I need you to use the gift that is in, within you. I placed it within you for a purpose. And you were just looking to the other person that has a different gift thinking that's what, what I need. But the reality is that I placed a gift within you. Do not let my precious gift go to waste. May the lamb that was slain, slain receive the reward of his suffering in full. That everything he paid for would be cared for and used to full capacity. Ephesians 3.10 says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. You see, the goal at the end of the day, really, this seems weird. The goal at the end of the day is not so much for the world to say, oh, that's an unexplainable thing, but for the unseen rulers and authorities that are wrecking people's lives to say, "Uh uh-oh, the church got it. We're in trouble. So that then the world that's looking in saying, 
what is this unexplainable thing, can come and those rulers and powers and authorities that are wrecking their life can be thrown down and cast away through the power of Jesus. I was listening to a, a sermon one time, and um, the pastor came out and said, uh, or during his sermon he said, there's people in this place that are so lost they need to be saved. And I feel like that's true this morning. There might be somebody in here this morning, and we want to give you the opportunity in a few moments to, to come forward and um, have somebody pray with you um, to receive that salvation. And then that pastor went on to say, there are some of you in this place that have been saved so long that you're lost. Some of us have just become pew sitters. Some of us have forgotten what the gifts that the Lord has given to us. Some of us have lost our trust because we, were, we have been able to, in our good charisma and our good character, to be able to win others. And you... And we don't give glory to the Lord as we should. You know, some of us forget that, oh, it might be uh, your health issues or it might be your work status. Maybe you're retired or unemployed and, or you're 16 or you're 65. It doesn't matter your age. As long as you have breath in your lungs, this Lord still has work in your life to do. You're still part of the body. Don't give up. And I felt this morning as we were worshiping that there's just maybe someone in here this morning that is dealing with depression heavily. And as we close, I just want to pray. And I want to open the altars. And I just want to pray for people this morning that are hurting, that have lost their way. Those who have just became habitual churchgoers. who feel like there's nothing left to do. Will you guys stand with me this morning?